What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Fifth and Long Podcast, presented to you by Patrick Damar and Paul the Kamish Kashak. Awesome episode for you today, previewing all things conference championships, some big games this Sunday. Ravens, Chiefs, Lions, Niners. Paul and I break down those matchups fully, give our predictions, uh, score totals, everything that, that you could possibly look for in a football game to predict. Really, really excited about it. Even more excited for the games this weekend. Enjoy the show, and stay tuned next week for more content. A reaction episode early in the week, and then maybe some basketball, hockey stuff um, later on in the week as well. Without further ado, you are listening to the 5th and Long Podcast. Welcome back to the show, Fifth and Long fans. Patrick Tamar, Paul Kayshak in the house. Back here again, previewing you for another Fifth and Long Friday. The conference championships are this weekend, and Paul and I are both very excited. Before we dive into those, we've got four or five real quick things here. This is mostly coaches, coaching carousel-related stuff, but um, Jim Harbaugh. New head coach for the Los Angeles Chargers. It's official. This was something that had been speculated on really at like the midway point of the NFL season. And Harbaugh had a couple of interviews with the Falcons. He had a couple of interviews with the Chargers. Um, there was some speculation that maybe other teams would get involved if, say, a Mike McCarthy or if a Nick Sirianni got fired after the end of the season. But nonetheless, Paul, your boy, Justin Herbert, gets his head coach. What was your immediate thoughts just right after you saw the headline? Match made in heaven, you know? I think they got a really good quarterback there. I've voiced my opinion on him, and, and Harbaugh's won everywhere he's been, both at the collegiate level and at the NFL level. So I've got complete confidence he can do that again here with L.A. I still think there's talent on the roster. It's going to be tough having Mahomes in the division, but my first thought was that this is going to be a playoff team next year, and I'm excited to see what it looks like there for the Chargers. Not just Mahomes, Sean Payton is in that division as well. Uh, up and coming head coach Anthony Pierce is Antonio in Oakland. Pierce. Antonio Pierce, yep, is in Oakland. And there's some real sort of Dan Campbell vibes with him, I think, to a certain extent. Maybe not a lot, but a little bit. Um, do you think the Chargers are a playoff team right away next year? I, I do. Said it just a couple seconds ago, but yeah, I do. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, so Harbaugh has never had a losing season as an NFL coach. Um, and his first year as the Niners head coach, he actually led them to the NFC championship game. And then he led them to the Super Bowl the next year, which they lost. Um, they went six and 10 the prior year. So that's pretty, I mean, you could project that they could have similar success next year. I, I don't see them as an AFC championship threat, but especially with, seven teams now in the playoffs. I could see them getting in as a wild card. Um, how about back at Michigan though? If, if, if it's anyone other than Sharon Moore replacing Harbaugh, are you surprised? Uh, absolutely. Cause I, from what I've understood, it's pretty much a done deal that, that Moore is going to take over. I think that they're just waiting for um, either some paperwork or, or just a, an X amount of time that needs to go by. Cause it's a public university job. But um, he's going to be the guy there. I think it's pretty much a handshake deal already that that he's going to take over there for for Harbaugh. Um, so I think something extremely drastic would have to happen if 
if somebody else is named. You don't think there's any chance whatsoever Harbaugh brings him along for the ride? Says, hey, come join my staff to, to some extent. No, because because I think somebody like that who who's coached under Harbaugh, um, I think Harbaugh understands that, you know, it's his time now. And I think that somebody he, who's like learned from him, I think Harbaugh is going to take as much joy and pleasure in in seeing more takeover in the role that he used to have, you know, and I think that that'd be more rewarding than bringing him along to to coach with uh, in L.A. with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, exciting times in Los Angeles. This is the Chargers third head coach in uh in what is it six seven years now since they moved to los angeles in 2017 uh, anthony lynn was there brandon staley former head coach as well they have not had much success since then they, they've made it to a couple playoff games they've lost both harbaugh the former quarterback there is now in charge of flipping the script um i'm excited excited to see how that turns out especially with their social media team and everything it's like perfect perfect personality for how they do all their social media content stuff which i'm there's going to be some wacky things that come out of that duo believe me nfl awards the finalists were announced for this paul and i are going to do picks for the awards closer to when they actually announce the winners but real quick let's go through who the finalists actually are these came out earlier today we're recording thursday night mvp Lamar Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, Dak, and Josh Allen. No Tyreek Hill. Surprising to you, Paul, at all? Um, a little bit. Um, yeah, to be honest with you. But I think the way that the Dolphins fell off at the end of the year is, is kind of the reason for that. And, um, you know, you saw some other teams surge, like the Ravens. Uh, obviously, the 49ers have been good pretty much the whole year. The Cowboys win the division. And obviously, the Bills overtake the Dolphins. So I think if anybody took Tyreek's slot, it would have been Josh Allen. So I, I see the logic in it. Um, it's really difficult for that award to go to a receiver. So I'm not overly surprised if you would ask me that question four or five weeks ago and told me that Tyreek wasn't going to be in it I would have been much more shocked then but a lot of times it's dictated based on like what your position is first and foremost and then how good your team is so with those things not going Tyreek's way on the back end of the year it's not the most shocking thing in the world coach of the year Dan Campbell John Harbaugh D'Amico Ryans Kyle Shanahan and Kevin Stefanski really interesting group of five here I feel like there was some talk earlier in the year about like Kevin O'Connell and um Shane Steichen even some, some other guys um none none of them listed here it's instead it's Harbaugh and it's Shanahan and uh, a few other guys is Campbell I know is the betting favorite still and again we're not going to go into picks or anything like that but is there anyone that you would trade out from this list of five for someone else? Um, I think that you can make an argument to throw in Sean McVay here uh, because just because let's keep in mind, the Rams were supposed to be uh, a pretty bad football team coming in, you know, didn't make the playoffs. They had, were dealing with some, didn't make the playoffs the year before we're dealing with some injuries. And, and there was a lot of question marks in that, in that organization. And, and really it's, it's all been completely debunked. And I thought McVay did another great job. If there's somebody I have to bump out, I guess by default, I would say Kyle Shanahan only because his, 
you could make the argument his team is so good, but I hate to do that because I love Kyle Shanahan. And I think that there's an argument to be made that he's the, the best coach in the NFL right now. But a lot of this award is like predicated on expectations for the team coming into the air and how they ended up finishing and like, what do you have to work with? So that's why, honestly, even though Dan Campbell is the betting favorite, I think that uh, there's a little bit more of a case to be made for D'Amico Ryan's personally. I mean, if you just took, take a look at difference in win loss record from last year to this year, I think you could give it to D'Amico Ryan's personally, but I guess if I'm putting McVay in over somebody just because of what he had to work with compared to a guy on this list who had a lot more to work with, I guess I'd bump Kyle Shanahan off, but I'm not going to go beat the drum for that. You know, that's, I'm, I'm pretty content with this, but I think there's a case for McVay. Kevin Stefanski is the only coach on that list that did not win a playoff game. However, you got to remember, he made it to the playoffs with four different quarterbacks uh, in his regular season, including Joe Flacco, who is actually a member of the comeback player of the year finalists. Uh, DeMar Hamlin also in there, Baker Mayfield, Matt Stafford, and Tua. Tua makes the five. Stafford, I, I was stoked to see in there. That didn't surprise me. Baker, not at all. Um, any Anybody else get snubbed from this list? From comeback player of the year? Yeah, nobody's coming to mind right off the top of my head. No, no one's coming to mind. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the betting favorite on this is still DeMar Hamlin. I think that we're one of the the few podcasts out there that has kind of beat the drum for him to not win it. And my thought process for that is I think that your performance on the field has to mean something in this award. Otherwise it's like, it's a football award, right? I mean, um, otherwise if it doesn't really mean anything, then it just becomes some sort of off the field thing. And, and I don't know, but um, nobody else comes to mind uh, in terms of, uh, I think that they should be on it. I, I do like the, these guys a lot. Baker would personally be my pick, but uh, we can get into that a little bit more in detail in the coming weeks. Next up for these awards, we've got the assistant coach of the year. This is a way more interesting list to me. Um, a lot of future head coaching candidates on this list. Ben Johnson, the OC for the Detroit Lions. You have both the Ravens coordinators on here, Mike McDonald and Todd Munkin. Bobby Slowick the Houston Texans offensive coordinator, and then Jim Schwartz as well makes the list. Um, I don't, I don't want to speculate too much on this one. There's a lot of assistant coaches and, and Paul and I do not know every single assistant coach from every single team, but of these, uh, of this list, all these guys have been rumored to some extent in head coaching jobs. Um, just a little nugget there really. Really kind of interested to see which which of those guys ends up with full-time jobs next year and where. Uh, Jim Schwartz, by the way, is the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. Offensive player of the year, Tyreek, Lamar, CD, Christian McCaffrey, and Dak. This is where Tyreek gets mentioned. No surprise here with this. Um, the concept of having an MVP and an offensive player of the year and then have different groups of five is a little weird to me you would think it's just the same if they're all offensive players like do, do you understand what i'm saying yeah absolutely i to be honest with you i think that i think they try to um at least acknowledge a wider range of players meaning that you know somebody's going to win the mvp but offensive player of the year i think is i guess it's the uh award that's a step down per se and i think that 
the NFL likes it because it still acknowledges that these guys have had great seasons. And even though they're not maybe the most valuable players on their team, I mean, what they, what they've done over the course of a 17 game season is certainly commendable and, and worthy of an award, like just because of the way that the quarterback position and how is, it's just so valuable in the NFL. It's very difficult for position players to win the offensive player of the year category. So I feel like this is almost the, the OPOY award is really like, okay, without actually saying it in its title, they're saying, okay, these, this is actually who the best position player was. Whereas MVP more times than not is really just saying, all right, who is the best quarterback? You know? I get you. Yeah. I agree with you. Defensive player of the year, Deron Bland, the rookie phenom from the Dallas Cowboys, Max Crosby. Love Max Crosby. This is a big Max Crosby podcast here. He actually has his own podcast. Did you know that? I'm pretty sure that I've seen or heard clips of it. Uh, A lot of these players have podcasts these days, so it's it's kind of the wave. We're not we're not unique in starting our podcast, but um, I'll have to check it out sometime. I have not personally listened to any of Crosby's material, but I uh, I'll check it out. And and Max, if you're listening to this or you listen to this one day down the road, (laughs) um, just just know I'm going to give your podcast a look. I he's one of the podcasts by players I actually really enjoy, to be honest. Um, another podcast player <laughs> is on this short list, Michael Parsons, of course, your boy TJ Watt and Miles Garrett. So really interesting group of five here. I, I think there's arguments for all of these players. Actually, it might be my favorite award just for this year in terms of like I just said, you can make a case for everybody, I think. Um, we also yeah, have a – go ahead. Sorry. sorry I, I, yeah, just because I, I, I voiced my opinions on Defensive Player of the Year award. This – the other awards, I think – I think Coach of the Year, you have arguments for multiple people as well. But um, of the major awards, this one, I, you're right. I think that you can make a, a lot of arguments for a lot of different people depending on which stats you look at. Um, I believe that, you know, it looks, seems like Miles Garrett is going to win it, but I think he can make valid arguments for guys like TJ Watt, Michael Parsons as well, and Max Crosby. So um, I think it's a very difficult award to to choose this year. I think that the the betting line reflects pretty clearly in one guy's favor, but um, I, I think there's a ton of factors that go into it. So that's one of the awards I'm most looking forward to, to seeing revealed in a couple of weeks. We also have... Rookie of the year for the offense and defense on the offensive side, you've got Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta, who we'll talk about more on this podcast. Uh, Puka Nakua, Bijan Robinson, which when I saw his name, I just went back to our fantasy football episode and, and had some pain in my chest. And of course, CJ Stroud. Um, speculation is that this award is going to be between Stroud and Nakua. Gibbs and Laporta, though, I, I think could have some strong arguments as well. I don't really think they missed anybody either, per se. Not not at least off the top of my head. No, th- this one's pretty clear. It's a it's a two man race. You're you're exactly right between Puka and Stroud, and and you could probably have a sole podcast episode in and of itself that just talks about the the battle between those two guys. What a phenomenal season they each have had, as well as Gibbs and Laporta. I don't really know if Bijan belongs on this list, but it's not like he had a bad year either. But uh, yeah, Stroud, Nakua, it is a special year with how good those guys have each played. I mean, if you just look at their body of work in really any other given season, they'd be a runaway winner for this award. So 
another another very good race and I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. Defensive rookie of the year as well. Um, another one of your Pittsburgh Steelers actually made this list. Joey Porter Jr. Um, didn't his dad play for the Steelers too way back when? Sure did. Was a middle linebacker for us um, and a uh, Super Bowl champion in Super Bowl 40. So he's got the blood. That's for sure. That's pretty sweet. I when I saw the name, I, I had flashbacks to old AFC championships game games between our teams, which we won most of the time. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. Thank you for reminding me. Two, uh, 2004 still hurts Spygate, but it is what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Everybody was doing it. We just got caught. Will Anderson is on this list from the Houston Texans. Jalen Carter from the Philadelphia Eagles. We also have Kobe Turner from the Los Angeles Rams and Devon Witherspoon of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, like I said, Paul and I are going to be doing a, some picks for these closer to when they actually announce the awards. Um, some other things to round up with before we really dive into our conference championship previews. Um, Vic Fangio is going to be the new defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles, of course, fired Sean Desai, their D coordinator, who they relieved of play calling duties earlier in the season and put Matt Patricia in charge of that job. Patricia is actually still on the staff right now, if I'm not mistaken, but Vangio, believe it or not, actually was a special assistant to the Eagles defense last year from his couch at home after leaving the Broncos. And there was some speculation that like, why didn't they hire him last season? Um, Instead, he ends up with the Dolphins, and the Dolphins had an okay defense this year when everybody was healthy. Um, he very notably went against type in that uh, wild card game in Kansas City, where he blitzed more than he's ever had a defense blitz in a game in, in his career, which is never really a great idea against Patrick Mahomes blitzing him a lot. Um, kind of going to open things up on the back end, but anyways, the, the Eagles' defense was much maligned this year they're getting an opportunity to hopefully retool in that side. They fired their OC too, I think. Right. Yep. Ben Johnson or not Ben Johnson. Excuse me. I Brian think, Johnson. I, Brian Johnson. Yep. Yeah. Excuse me. Ben Johnson's the head of that hell of a year. He's not getting fired. A lot of coordinator changes um, happening right now. Very, very interesting. I'm trying to pay more attention to these nowadays only because with how often head coaches are getting fired, some of these guys, they could end up being, head coaches for, for teams next year that end up moving on from their guy in charge right now. Um, the Carolina Panthers with another move, making some headlines the last couple of weeks. Um, shout out Noah Sprinkle once again, by the way. Paul, bringing in the offensive coordinator from Tampa Bay Buccaneers in an effort to um, perhaps rejuvenate Bryce Young and their offense. What do you think about Dave Canales? in Charlotte. I don't know too much about him, but I, I do know he's had some success with Gino and Baker uh, the past couple seasons. And obviously I think that he should be somewhat familiar with Bryce Young and the Panthers in general, just having played them twice a year, being in the same division from this past year. And, you know, you look at Baker, he's not the biggest guy, not the biggest in stature among quarterbacks. And obviously that's the case with Bryce Young, definitely on the smaller side. So I think that, you know, maybe some of his tutelage and coaching that he uh, was able to help Baker out with can transfer over to Bryce Young. Like I said, I don't know too much about him 
But I think on the surface, I see the logic behind this. And I, I hope for Carolina, it does work out. I think I've said multiple times that I do think Bryce Young can and will be a good quarterback. I think he needs some help around him, both at skill position wise and, and obviously personnel. He didn't really get that either one last year. So rooting for Bryce Young. I loved him at Alabama. I hope that this is uh, the coaching personnel move that he needs to take himself to the next level and, and really jumpstart what I think will be a good NFL career. Well, he was in Seattle for quite some time. He was a part of the staff there up until um, just a couple of years ago, or actually before this year when he joined the Buccaneers staff as their OC. Um, worked with Russell Wilson there, of course. Helped rejuvenate Geno Smith last year, Baker Mayfield this year, back-to-back -back seasons, helping quarterbacks get back on track. Uh, he's worked with some other guys as well um, that were starters in his tenure as an assistant. No, 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 no. That's not who I'm thinking of. My apologies. Different coach. Forget I said that. Um, I was thinking of uh, uh, Brian Callahan, the the Titans guy. I was reading up on, on some stuff on him after we argued about Will Levis and Jake Browning, which I'm not backing down on, by the way. Uh, I don't want to argue about this again, though. <laughs> um, anyways, the Atlanta Falcons have a new head coach as well. And it is not Bill Belichick or Jim Harbaugh. This was, I think, a panic move. After Harbaugh got swooped up, I don't think Belichick wanted to commit to them right away. And I don't think they wanted to wait out the other coordinators that are still in the playoffs. I think Arthur Blank got into a staring contest with himself and he blinked and hired Raheem Morris his, his former interim head coach um, as the new head coach. I don't, I don't know. I don't really like this move. Like I said, I, I think it's a panic move. I, I think there are much better guys available out there. I know Morris is getting a rep uh, with the Rams because he's a part of the McVay tree, quote unquote, but he didn't start with McVay. More of his background is with Dan Quinn and, and um, uh, some others, even John Gruden way back in the day, he was a part of the, uh, Buccaneers staff when they won the Super Bowl back in 2002, I think it was. Sounds about right. Yeah, I don't really follow the logic on this move either. He's got a career losing record as a head coach. Um, I know that they interviewed a bunch of candidates here, but I think that there still were some other candidates that would free up after after, uh, you know, the these playoffs ended in the Super Bowl. Ben Johnson being one of those guys in particular. Yeah, even so, a week from now. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I know that, you know, sometimes time is of the essence here and they do have a little bit of an advantage that their season's already over and they can jumpstart this process. But yeah, I, I don't really follow this. Um, I, I don't know if Belichick was, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at um, the kind of the parallels or the Belichick and Harbaugh interviews going side by side, the way things went down with Harbaugh going to LA, it, it kind of seems like Harbaugh's interviews with Atlanta were more just so Harbaugh could use that as leverage with the chargers. I think he kind of always wanted to go to LA and he just at least, all right, can say I was interviewing with the Falcons too, just to have some sort of leverage there and, and bring something to the table um, for negotiations with the chargers. But I, I got to think here that Belichick's, wasn't I, the Falcons kind of just brought Belichick in just because his name is Belichick. And I don't know if they were really considering him seriously. And I think that that goes along with the rest of the league saying that it's becoming a younger man's game and, and just somebody who's on the wrong side of 70 
is not exactly the the direction that we want to go. I think that that's the Falcons thought process with Belichick at least, but again, agree that that doesn't necessarily have to mean that you jump to this move as a head coach with Raheem Morris, the best of luck. Hope he uh, helps turn things around in Atlanta. All the best to him, but I, I just don't see it right now where things stand. Here's what I think happened. I think kind of like we kind of like I said, um, not too recently on the podcast, I, I think that it was really Belichick interviewing the Falcons and not the other way around. And I think Arthur Blank probably still has a slight sour taste in his mouth from the 28 to three game. I wouldn't blame him if he did. And I don't think he liked waiting out Belichick. Um, two weeks ago, people were saying that this was Belichick or bust, that this is who the Falcons wanted. It was clear cut, like nobody else. They're interviewing other candidates, but this is the guy that we want. And then they started interviewing more candidates. In total, they, they interviewed 14 guys, 14 guys. And they go with Morris, who in his four years as a defensive coordinator, he's only had one season in which his team was in the top half of opponents' points per game allowed. Uh, 2021 in, in Los Angeles, his first year when they were ninth, they got worse in his second and third years. They, they still won a Super Bowl in that second season, but it wasn't because of their defense. It was because they had a record-setting offense with Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. I, I don't get this move, and I don't think that Belichick is going to be coaching anywhere next year now. I, I've heard it's a long shot that he ends up with, DC, I heard it's a long shot. He ends up with Seattle. And this goes back to what I was saying when he first left the Pats. I think he's going to take a year, hang out by the beach, uh, do TV when he wants, when there's games that excite him. And, and when the studio reaches out, which will probably be often, he'll get a quick paycheck for it. Won't have to deal with public criticism for his team underperforming. And then next year, when the Jets and Giants jobs open, He'll have his pick between his other two favorite places besides New England. That's you heard it here first in 365 days from now when it happens, you can quote me. Well, we'll we'll certainly quote you one way or the other, whether it happens or whether it doesn't. Uh, I, you know, I don't disagree with the logic that, you know, maybe he only had one spot in mind. Atlanta was the only, only place that was on his mind because they do have position guys. And if they, maybe make move in the draft or, or something like that. They could get a quarterback and there'd be something to build around. And if he interviewed with them and saw that the vision wasn't quite lining up with what he was hoping for, I can understand how he wouldn't pursue anything any further, but I don't know if he takes a year off, I got a tough time believing he's, he's going to come back and coach because then he's going to be what, like 73. I mean, like I said, you know, you're not really going to want as an NFL organization, a guy in your who's pushing his mid seventies, because you ask yourself, well, how many years is he going to have left? Is he just doing it to chase Don Shula's record for a couple of years? And, you know, that might not be enough time to build something. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds for Bill. I, you know, he's had a phenomenal career and and coming a little bit short of Shula's record shouldn't shouldn't hinder anybody from calling him the greatest coach of all time. I think all you have to do is look at the Super Bowl wins and and that's the end of that discussion. But yeah, this might be a man who's destined to head out on the boat with Nick Saban and uh and get some fishing done. Fishing, some golfing. Who knows what? Yeah, exactly, man. Retirement's <laughs> nice, man. I'm already counting down to retirement. I got like 40 some years, man. That's <laughs> all the that's all I got. <laughs> I'm gonna I want to work until I can't. We'll we'll see how long that is. Um, yeah, I, 
I'm going to miss seeing him coach to a certain extent. I, I think selfishly, I will be a little bit happy if I don't see him coach in a uniform besides the Patriots from here on out. Um, seeing Brady in Tampa was just weird. I, I was never able to really root fully for him after he left. Like I was happy when he won that Super Bowl the first year, but it felt like it felt like watching your girlfriends end up with a guy immediately after who's like six foot seven and is like a millionaire. <laughs> and Damn, you uh, got a high opinion of the Bucks. I mean, they no, I, a I mean, Super Bowl roster, but the, like winning the Super Bowl right away. And he takes your best. Yeah. Fr- she takes your best friend along for the ride with you and Gronk. It was it was just weird. It was weird. Um, so I, that's, speaking from experience, <laughs> not not quite, but not far <laughs> off, um, <laughs> to be well, honest. Condolences. <laughs> yeah, let's not get into that one. Um, <laughs> not far off, man. Not far off. Uh, yeah, the. We'll have to see where if uh, if Belichick does end up coaching. Gut reaction: Do you think he ends up coaching again? No, I think I think if he's not coaching this year, I think I think probably not. Okay. Wow. So it comes down to this: the NFC uh, Conference Championship game, the NFC Conference Championship game, both this Sunday. AFC game between the Chiefs and Ravens, three p.m. On CBS, Lions Niners in San Francisco, 6.30 p.m. on Fox. We got a nice little doubleheader here. I think this is my favorite football day of the year, even more so than the double semifinal college football playoff game. I I think next year, the way the playoff works could get really exciting with with more games being added. Um, If they stack those all in one day, that could be fun. But even more than the Super Bowl, I think the emotion with these two games is is higher just in terms of getting that opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. You know, sometimes it's the game before that in the moment feels like it means more than the actual championship game. Yeah. I mean, I I can follow the logic on that. And in a way, this is our last, last week of real football, you know, because then the Super Bowl gets really commercialized. You got the crazy commercials going, the halftime show, and obviously it's at a neutral site. So this is the last time we're going to see real home field advantage, loud crowds, um, you know, just real football and, um, you know, true, true blood, sweat and tears. Obviously we'll see that in the Super Bowl, the, the blood, sweat and tears thing, but to a degree, yeah, this is, this is our last week of, of the realism of football and it's not too commercialized. So I follow you there. There's two games as opposed to one, but the Super Bowl, um, I think I like the super wild card weekend the most, but that's, you know, multiple days. If you're talking just one pure day of football, yeah. Conference championship uh, Sunday is, is certainly something to behold. Which game are you looking forward to the most between these two? Oh, and, it's, it's Ravens, we'll start with Ravens chiefs for me. Yeah. Ravens chiefs for me, just the quarterback play. I think that's, that's gotta be where, where my head's at. Um, you know, you got legacy on the line with Mahomes. He's been in six straight AFC championship games. Now he's got two Super Bowl rings already. And, you know, if he wins, he could be headed back to another Super Bowl and potentially have a chance to win his third. I mean, you know, with him, it's all about chasing greatness and and chasing Tom Brady for for the best to ever do it. And then obviously there's a lot of headlines around Lamar Jackson as well. This is a guy who is coming into this playoffs. People are saying he can't win in the playoffs. Now he's a game away from a Super Bowl 
And I mean, you gotta, you gotta consider if Lamar is able to, to cap the season off of the Super Bowl. you know, obviously he's, he's building a real hall of fame case there. And it, depending on how long he can do it and how versatile he is for the remainder of his career, you know, he's going to start uh, entering the discussion of, of one of the better quarterbacks to ever play the game if he can uh, cap this off the Super Bowl here. So legacies riding on on both both guys, and and I'm excited to see that one more more so than the NFC game. But that's not to take away from from the Lions Niners matchup either. I have to agree with you. I think certainly Chiefs Ravens has the most impact in terms of the history of the game and how we look at this era. Um, this is the first year without Brady and I talk about him a lot, but it's because he's the, the quarterback of the last 20 years, right? He is the quarterback that defines the era. And now it's Mahomes. Mahomes is going to be who we talk about, who our kids talk about for the next 20 years, right? That's who it's going to be, especially if he keeps winning. And now he's made it to six consecutive conference championship games. Brady and the Patriots have the record with eight. He's not far off, right? If Kelsey plays another two years and they add another guy or two, you could definitely see them making it eight, maybe even nine or 10, unless somebody else proves that they can start beating them. The only guy to beat Mahomes in the playoffs, there are two, two quarterbacks. It's Burrow once and Brady twice. And Brady did it once in a Super Bowl. Nobody else has done it yet. So Lamar is trying to make history in that sense. But also he has talked so much about how badly he wants this Super Bowl. and the conversation in the Ravens locker room has been about him being the leader of the team, not just in terms of performance, but now vocally too. And I think, especially with him about to win his second MVP this year, which would put him equal with Mahomes, he has to get a win against him in this game. If, if he wants to control the narrative, if he can win an MVP this season, beat Mahomes head to head in the playoffs and then go ahead and win the Super Bowl, he immediately gets thrust into that, like top two, top three quarterbacks in the league argument. There's no more reservations about, well, he he doesn't do this or sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Like he has a real opportunity here. And I think he, he is fully aware of that and senses it and isn't really phased by the pressure of it. Like, I think he's fully prepared to seize the moment. I don't think that, I don't think that the Ravens are going to lose because he's not going to play well this weekend. I think if they lose, it'll be because Mahomes leaves scorched earth in Baltimore. Yeah, I can follow that logic. And and you're you're completely right. I mean, if he goes on to win a Super Bowl here and he's got two MVPs under his belt as well, it's not just the the top two or three quarterbacks that are that are playing right now. That's that's what I was saying that you know, with the hardware that he would have at that point, we can start entering discussion for not, not greatest of all time. And I'm not saying he would, that would put him above Mahomes. Certainly not. And wouldn't be in Brady discussion, but you know, you know, maybe one of the top 10 quarterbacks to to play the game. I think that you could start having that discussion. If he can, he can get a super bowl. It's a big if, but you know, I think the hardware would be there at, at that point. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, huge legacy for both guys. I, I, I think that the way Lamar played last week against Houston has shown a lot of people that there's no, there's no playoff rust. There's no, you know, can't win in the playoffs. That, that whole mantra is out the window. This, this is a guy who's ready to play shook those demons last week. And and you're right. I think that it's going to take a really good game from Kansas city, not just Mahomes, but Pacheco and all those other guys as well to win this one. The, the defense isn't just going to magically come up with a couple of turnovers and Lamar just has a clunker. 
Well, let's talk about the defenses because I, that's actually, if you if you look into it, these are the two best defenses in the league. It might be the two best quarterbacks and the two best defenses in the league facing off in the same game. Uh, the Ravens finished first in points allowed per game this year at 16 and a half. The Chiefs finished second at 17.3. So they're right there neck and neck. The Ravens were first in sacks at 60. The Chiefs were second in 57. Both teams ranked in the top six in passing yards allowed per game. It's like uh, no matter how good the Ravens defense plays, Lamar is still going to have to outduel the Chiefs defense to a certain extent or, and, and Mahomes because they've proven all year they're not that far off from the Ravens. They're not getting talked about as much. It's been not as constant. Like we had some chatter with it early in the year. And then again, at the back end of the year when they started winning again, but that is a, a under under talked about storyline that I think is the bigger key factor in this game. Just how these two defenses can can match up against the opponent's offense. Well, it is, it is a big factor, and though we're talking about how well we think the quarterbacks are going to play, like the defense does play an equally as important role as like who can find a way to get more stops, who can maybe have a timely turnover. If both these quarterbacks are dueling it out and just going, you know, blow for blow and matching touchdowns, yeah, then you start turning to the other parts of the team and saying, all right, well, defense, who's going to come up with a stop first? And I, yeah, I think it's extremely, extremely important. And you're right that both these two teams are, are extremely good defenses, both top five in pass defense in terms of pass yards per game. So it's not going to be an easy day or it's not going to be the easiest day for either quarterback to, to stand back there and throw. Um, for me, the biggest question mark, I think, is on the Chiefs side in terms of what are they going to do to contain Lamar Jackson when he uses his legs? And, you know, I'm interested to see, are they going to employ a spy I've heard that if they do employ a spy, that would likely be Willie Gay. But Willie Gay came up with a neck injury in that game against Buffalo. He's been limited in practice. Um, I heard from Andy Reid today, I read an article that they're saying that uh, Willie Gay's having trouble turning his neck. So it's still, you know, kind of a, a game time decision, day to day type thing for whether he's going to play. I thought that was a huge reason why Baltimore and Lamar Jackson in particular was able to have success against Houston because Lamar used his legs. I think he rushed for a hundred yards last week. And I saw the middle of the field, the middle field was wide open. Once he broke the pocket, if you have a a spy who can contain him, like I said, last week, it was about not necessarily limiting Lamar to no rushing yards. It's that the Texans could not limit the 20 and 30 yard gains to five and 10 yard gains. A spy like Willie Gay could help do that. And that's a big question mark going into this game. So that's my, that's my biggest question mark on Kansas city's side. And then I want to see how Baltimore is able to stop Isaiah Pacheco um, uh, for, for the Baltimore defense, because Pacheco was very good against Buffalo. He won that running back battle between James Cook last week. I ran for nearly a hundred yards and Baltimore is phenomenal really across all facets of the game defensively. But if there's one spot where they are, I guess, human or just average, it would be in, in the, the rushing aspect or 13th in yards per game, which is a little bit surprising because they've won so many games and they, you figured they'd be playing from ahead most of the time. So teams would have to abandon the run. But the fact that they're still kind of around the middle of the pack, I think tells me that maybe Kansas city can exploit that the way that they ran the ball last week with Pacheco. So those are the two key things I think I'm looking for in terms of each defense can Baltimore stop Kansas city's run game and really force Mahomes to do everything. And then what is Kansas city going to do as a method to contain Lamar Jackson once he breaks the pocket? Something that Kansas City employed a lot 
in their win against Buffalo last week, they, they came out in their dime package really frequently where they had three safeties on the field and really tried not necessarily use that as like something to spy Allen with every single play, but they just, they had some more speed out there because of it. And the bills used a lot of two tight end sets. The Ravens are going to use a lot of two tight end sets, especially with Mark Andrews coming back healthy. People are saying he's going to play this weekend. Um, that's huge. Especially like Isaiah likely has been so good this year. I, I don't think they're going to hamper off getting him targets. I think it just means Lamar is probably going to throw the ball an extra like five times, <laughs> you know, it likely has been so maybe, awesome this year. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. And the other thing about it is too, I mean, I don't know how healthy Mark Andrews is going to be in this game, but because of how good Isaiah likely has been in Andrews's absence, I think that the Ravens are going to have complete confidence using if they want to, or if they need to, I think they'll have complete confidence using Mark Andrews as a decoy. And maybe that'll open up some more things for likely in the process. So good call there on the two tight end sets. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see exactly how effective Mark Andrews is when he comes back this weekend. Well, those guys aren't the only tight ends in this game. Travis Kelsey, obviously with Kansas city chiefs, you know Taylor Swift is going to be in Baltimore. You know Jason Kelsey is going to be there too. Um, over Which, on the, the beers, way, by the way. Over yes, on the beers. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I heard forty Miller lights. So that is ridiculous. I cannot believe it. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, oh you're right. God. I wasn't really factoring in like drinks before the game, and I don't know if that that forty number included some some after uh, the clock hit triple zeros either. But. 40 was more than I was expecting. I was thinking, all right, like even if he was drinking before the game, like maybe he's touching 30, but that, uh, that number blew me away. And people were saying that we were going like way too high for it too. And I was like, no, 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 these are professional athletes. Okay. These guys are like 300 plus pounds. Okay. They can drink any regular human being under the table twice. I thought your line was ridiculous too. That's why I took the under. You had it the whole way. Credit to you, Patrick. You you had it the whole way. I think that you were, you said that you were willing to go even a little bit higher, but we set the line just at 27 because that's what the Chiefs scored. So uh I the official to you, number sir. I started with was 30. That was the first yep. number, I guess. Yeah, I, I felt good about that. I felt good about that. Um, we'll have to do another one of those for for each game just to see what happens. Um, but anyways, Travis Kelsey, he's gonna be matched up hypothetically, against Kyle Hamilton in this game. Kyle Hamilton, the rookie out of Notre Dame, two all-pro players. Hamilton has been unbelievable this year in terms of his versatility, being able to play almost anywhere on the field, to be honest. Um, I, like, I've tried to think so hard about who he reminds me of. You would have to think that he'll get put on Kelsey at some point in this game. Maybe not right away, but... Travis has 12 catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns this postseason after, let's say, jogging to the finish line in the regular season. Okay. He, he's put on a storm in the last couple of games. He's going to be huge in this game, too, especially considering who Baltimore has in the middle of their defense. Patrick Queen is there, too. Um, I don't know how he's going to get open for two touchdowns but you'd have to think they're still going to find ways to try to get him the ball in the red zone 
Well, they'll have to, right? I mean, we saw it work effectively for him last week. Uh, only one of his touchdowns was actually in the red zone. The other one was a little bit of a longer pass. But look, I, I trust Andy Reid and, and and that coaching staff to scheme up Travis Kelsey along with the other receivers as much as any. And I think that that like that's where Kelsey will make his money. Um, layer concepts, scheme him open, uh, use route concepts. You know, layer play that a play that you have in the first quarter, come back to it in the second, third, and fourth, or run something different off of it, you know, turn a run into a pass type thing as the, as the game goes along. Look, I think right now, if Kyle Hamilton and Travis Kelsey do match up at, at some point in this game, I think Hamilton Hamilton's wins that, that one, one matchup. Just if you look at the player, um, I think Hamilton, he's obviously younger. I think he's a little bit more athletic at, at his stage of his career compared to Kelsey, but I don't think it's as simple as just having that discussion. Right. I think that, like I said, there's so many moving parts on the the Chiefs offense. There's so many other guys that you have to consider at any point. Like Hamilton's going to have to be worried about a deep threat with Rasheed Rice. Um, Marcos Valdez-Scantling stepped up last week with a couple deep balls as well. Going to have to consider that. And as those type of guys stretch the field, that opens up Kelsey for, um, you know, a 10, 15 yard gain over the middle. So we'll see. I, I'm sure that the Chiefs offense has something planned for how to scheme open 87 and, and Mahomes is going to hit him every time. But you're right. If those guys do get locked up, um, at any point in the game, look for that matchup because that could be a big one. Two of the most talented guys on the field. So I was trying to go really, I was really trying to look between the lines too and find some little things that I could see that may give me a little bit more confidence leaning either way on this game. Kansas city is going to be without Joe Tooney on their offensive line, most likely. Um, And if he does play, it's questionable how effective It'll be, we're still a couple days away from Sunday. So um, NFL team physicians are really good at getting guys ready to, to play through pain. Really, really good at it. Um, but Joe Tooney, former Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots, key member of Kansas City's interior offensive line, which some say is the best in football right now. Um, Baltimore was first in the league in sacks this year, despite being 26th in blitz rate. They blitzed less than 20% of the time on defense. And if they can find a way to get home against Mahomes, just with a straight up four man rush, or at least, at least touch him, right. Get him uncomfortable, get him out of the pocket, force him to make plays. They've got the perimeter players and the players in the middle of their defense to catch up with him and tackle him after the fact to a certain extent. Right. Um, We've seen him make a lot of plays this this year with his legs. I still think he hasn't shown quite fully what he can do with those yet. Um, I think they're going to have a lot of quick screens to the outside. We know how good Kansas City is at, at drawing up screen plays. I think they're going to be trying to get the ball out of his hands fast, avoid sacks. I don't think he's been sacked a single time yet this postseason. Um, to I don't I I'm pretty sure that's right. I don't think he's been sacked yet either game. Um, in Not fact, sure I, off the top of my head, but I do know that Kansas City allowed the second fewest sacks um, per game on the year. So it doesn't surprise me if that stat holds true. They're, they're pretty good at protecting the quarterback. I don't know how often he's going to throw the ball because this team is better served to hand it off more to Rice and sort of let explosive plays develop through that. They also have had some pretty explosive plays in the run game, which has helped them a good bit and will help them in this game, which you sort of alluded to earlier. Um, Rice, I I think you could see him get a ton of action in this game, just catches 
underneath, quick to the outside, like I was saying. He, I think, is going to be their move the chains guy, especially if they can't get the ground game going early. I, I think Reed is not going to. He, I, I don't think if the ground game isn't working, say middle of the second half, he's going to look to Patrick Mahomes and say, "Hey, man, you're throwing the ball 50 times today." Um, on the other side, Baltimore. I think they're going to zig when people think they should zag. I think they're just going to let Lamar sling it early. Give him confidence, make a few passes, test him deep, see if they can make some plays, and then ground and pound him, right? They're going to have uh, their first ever hosted AFC championship game since moving to Baltimore. Uh, The Colts, the Baltimore Colts, hosted an AFC championship game in 1971. All the other championship games, that conference championship games they played in have been on the road. Um, the atmosphere is going to be crazy. They've got Ed Reed and Ray Lewis there. They're bringing out Michael Phelps to deliver the game ball, and T-Pain <laughs> is going to be there. Like, I think they're going to try to seize momentum early and um, then give Kansas City death by a thousand paper cuts after an initial punch to the mouth or two. Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, they're going to have a, a big home crowd there and, and going to have a lot of emotion running high in, in that game. I, I think the way that Baltimore is going to try to make plays happen is I think that they're going to have Lamar run early and they're going to try do some design runs. I thought Lamar was very effective running the ball right up the gut last week against Houston. And I think that that's where a guy like Chris Jones on the defensive side of the ball for Kansas city could come into play if he can clog up that middle. But if they can, if they can open up with some, maybe some design runs early, all of a sudden now you start having to bring some linebackers and safeties down to try to contain Lamar and limit those runs. And then I think that that's where some deep balls to guys like Zay flowers and Odell Beckham can open up. That's, that's how I think Baltimore will, will try to establish things. So I don't necessarily think they're just going to come out and let Lamar sling it all over the yard right away. But I think the goal is going to be to use the run to ultimately set up the pass. And when they have to win the game, I do think that they, they are going to have to trust Lamar's arm because I think that at one point or another, Kansas city's defense will either compensate or maybe even overcompensate to stop Lamar on the ground. So, you know, and ultimately I think that they will try to make him win the game with his arm. So I think that that's gotta be the whole game plan for Baltimore is to set up, uh, set up deep balls for, for later third and fourth quarter Um, for Kansas city though. I, I said it, uh, and and you you brought it back into the discussion here. The run game has to be a part of, of their game plan here. I don't see them winning if Mahomes has to throw the ball 40, 50 times. I don't. It's as crazy enough as that is to say with how good Patrick Mahomes is. If he's dropping back, you know, 40, 50 times in this game, I think the Baltimore will win because I think that the secondary for the Ravens is too talented, and I, I honestly think that they can stop – Mahomes if if it's just a one-dimensional passing game for Kansas City. Luckily enough for the Chiefs, they have had the best running game in the past couple of years, maybe since Mahomes has gotten there. And I, I think that they're going to be able to utilize it. It's all about just providing another level. It doesn't even have to be like you go run heavy early and even use it to set up the passes. If you can keep Baltimore's defense honest with the run, you can force them to cheat down with their safeties a little bit and their linebackers. Then it opens things up for Mahomes. You just need the threat of it there with with Mahomes. I think with Lamar, you actually need to use the run game to set things up in the pass. So I'm interested to see how those things go. Um, Obviously, Baltimore loves to run the football, so I'm not 
in no way, shape or form am I questioning if that's going to be part of their game. But for Kansas City, it has to be. They they have to stay dedicated to the run. And even if they fall behind, I think that you have to stick with it. The spread on this game initially came out as minus three after the divisional round. Now it's at minus four. That changed today. It was at three and a half yesterday. Baltimore now favored by four points. Uh, bringing the weather aspect into it, I don't think that's really going to affect either of these teams. It's supposed to be uh, mid-40s and rainy pretty much during the whole duration of the game. Like I said, I don't think that's going to really affect both these teams. It's not like either of these quarterbacks are um, unaccustomed to bad weather in certain situations, especially Mahomes the last couple of weeks. I mean, my God, playing in that ridiculous snowball in uh, or ice bowl, I should say, in Kansas City, and then going to Buffalo after that. Rainy and in mid forties in Baltimore is going to feel like Miami. <laughs> yeah. I don't, th- I don't think he's going to be concerned about that. And it's not like things were exactly warm for Lamar Jackson last week uh, in Baltimore either. I think that game was played in the mid twenties against Houston there. So I think they, uh, you get the temperature bumped up 15, 20 degrees. We'll see rain. Will, rain will always play a factor if, uh, if it is rainy, but the more important thing is that there's no wind. I think that I think any player will tell you that they can handle a little bit of rain. You just wipe the ball off. You just do everything you can to keep the ball dry. Maybe it's you're a little it's a little bit difficult to cut sometimes if the ground really does get a little bit too moist. But where things really get affected, especially in the passing game, is that wind. So as long as that wind is kept in check, I think that we'll see high flying offense like we're hoping for. So looking at some little sprinkling some little bets. Around, I was trying to look at some fun little uh, little prop lines for our listeners to maybe maybe throw something on if they want. Um, I don't know. We'll see, Paul. I want to run some of these by you and, and let me let, let me, me know if yeah, let me know if any of them tickle your fancy, so to speak. Um, first of all, the over under is forty four and a half. That's at minus one ten odds. Um, definitely, this game is, is being projected as a low scoring game by Vegas. Are you leaning under on this? Or are you thinking more over? Well, first thought when I when I see this total 44 and a half and knowing um, the quarterbacks that are being played in this game, I, I lean slightly over. Um, the, the big thing for me is always check the weather. You alluded to some rain. Um, never, I will never make an over under bet multiple days in advance. I need to see how that weather plays out um, leading up to it and really the day up. So We'll see if if the rain forecast heavies or gets heavier. Um, that might sway me off of betting this, but I probably would stay away from the under. I think it is uh, it's just going to be a little bit too difficult to take with how good these quarterbacks are. I understand that both defenses are very good. We've mentioned that, but at the end of the day, I, I think I said a week or two ago on the podcast that the old cliche that defense wins championships is not necessarily true anymore. You need a dude at quarterback and you need to score points. And I think ultimately I would lean over 44 and a half, but check that weather. We also have anytime touchdown scores. There's, there's a bunch of different options for this. I actually think there's a little more worthwhile variety in this game for anytime TD scores than the other. Uh, Lamar is at plus one Oh five odds and Kelsey is at plus plus one fifteen odds. Those are the two uh, lowest odds. If you will, Lamar, 
almost seems like a safe bet to me. And again, this is a, a running or receiving touchdown. Uh, he would have to have not a passing touchdown. Pacheco, Gus Edwards, and Rasheed Rice are all at plus one thirty-five. Any of those, any of those, give you make you feel anything? So I, I do share your sentiment that I think Lamar at plus one hundred five, even though it's not a massive payout, that's that's a good call there. I think that he's going to probably have to score at least once. You would figure. And I like Pacheco as well. I think that Kansas City's made a concerted effort, as we've talked about, to get him the ball. So I, I do expect him to, to probably find the end zone once. Uh, the guy that I, I think's got pretty good value here to, to maybe find the end zone, I, I like Zay Flowers to, to kind of make a play in this game. Uh, speedy receiver, I think I've been very impressed with what he's done in his rookie year. And, and like I said, I think that at some point, Kansas City is going to make Lamar beat them with his arm. And I think Zay Flowers is, is the best pass catching option when you consider the fact that this is Andrew's first game back from injury, don't know exactly how healthy he's going to be. I like Zay Flowers to plus 210 for your best value bet. When I look at this, I flash back to the Super Bowl two years ago, the early moments of that game, when none other than Odell Beckham Jr. was making a highlight reel grab after highlight reel grab down the field. He's at plus 390 in this. Who better than to to try to find something down the field and make something explosive happen, especially early? This guy is coming around for the leader of the team as well. I, I think Harbaugh has shown in his career he wants to give those guys opportunities in big games like this to make things happen. I I love OBJ at plus three ninety. Actually, I I think I, I think that could could get some action. I would love throwing a little sprinkle on that. Um, Mark Andrews is at plus 250. Mahomes for a rushing or receiving touchdown is at plus 600. I actually don't hate that either. I've got some combined rushing totals with him and Lamar that I'll, that I'll dive into a little bit. Marta, um, MVS is at uh, plus 650. Marquez Valdez-Scanling. And then the two defenses, the Baltimore defense is at plus 700 for a touchdown. Kansas City's is at plus 1,000. I The defense kind of made me think a little bit like it's it's a bad weather game even a little bit the atmosphere is going to be crazy i think it might be i think baltimore is a slightly more hostile environment to play in than uh buffalo is Ooh. and i i don't know hey, about the, that one the fans I, no, in buffalo no might be drunk no disrespect the fans to baltimore, baltimore ravens fans yeah. on this one no disrespect to Baltimore Ravens fans on this one. They call it Bills Mafia for a reason, though. No, nah, that's just because they're hammered and diving on tables. Like I said, Bills fans are drunker. Baltimore fans are meaner. Um, I would not want to be like, I, I'm not going to get into it, but Baltimore fans are meaner. Um, otherwise, uh, like I said, I, I think. You know, we do have a, a good amount of Baltimore fans who listen to the show, right? Yes, and just I'm saying. glad that you listen to the show, and they should consider this a compliment. I just said that they have right. the most hostile stadium to play in in the national football yeah. league. Okay. I like as a Patriots fan, no, you're just calling them mean, you know, but that's all, but maybe in a good sense. Yeah. Like I, I think that they embody the spirit of their team. It's not a bad thing. Come on. <laughs> Got me defending myself here. Um, yeah, but Baltimore D at plus 700, even Kansas city at plus a thousand, I think. That's worth a look. Um, maybe a little bit. 
Travis Kelsey, two or more t- touchdowns plus 800. Does that do anything for you? I, I feel like that's a little, little too much. Not at all. Uh, I need more than an eight to one payout to score two touchdowns. I know he just did it last week, but like I look at that and say, all right, well, if he did it last week, that probably makes it all the less likely he comes out and does it again here. So plus 800 is just not enough. You've talked about Pacheco quite a bit in this. For plus 210 odds, you can have Isaiah Pacheco to get 30 or more rushing yards in each half. This is really, if you want to back up that Pacheco is going to have a big game or going to have to for Kansas City to win and you think Kansas City is is going to win, this bet is for you, Paul. You know what, though? I don't really like these, like, you got to have a certain amount of yards in each half or a certain amount of points in each half scored. Because, like I said, I think that teams can layer concepts and use one part of their offense to set up another. So you could have Pacheco really going off in the first half, and that'll set up Mahomes for the second half or vice versa, you know? So I I don't, I personally like to stay away from these. You got to have X amount of rushing yards in each half. Now, granted, I do think Isaiah Pacheco is going to have a good day on the ground, or at least for the Chiefs to win, he'll he'll need to. But I don't I don't like this whole like you got to have a certain amount of yards each bet or each half. I would just probably stick to his over under for the, for the game and and go about it that way. That's Fair just enough. me. Fair enough. Uh, how about each team scores a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown, like one or more for both? Each team has to score at plus three hundred. Yeah, that one's not bad. That one's that's just for the whole game. Yeah. One one touchdown, one receiving. Obviously, if there's something that's going to probably screw you in that bet, I would imagine that it would be Baltimore not getting a receiving touchdown. No, I was going to say it would be Kansas City not getting a rushing touchdown. That's what I was looking at more. Maybe. I I think the way Pacheco's run the ball lately, though, I got I got good confidence in that. But uh, the reason I say about uh, um, Baltimore not getting a receiving touchdown per se, it's not a slight on Lamar. It's it's just the fact that because he is so mobile and he can, he can run the ball in himself around the goal line. And when the play breaks down, I think that that reduces at least the percentage chance somewhat that they'll, they'll throw, you know, down deep in the, in the red zone area. So not bad at, at three to one odds again, like I, these aren't the type of bets that I'd love to take, but uh, I'd probably stay away from it, but I like it better than the, than like a yards each half or a touchdown each half type bet. Lamar and Mahomes combining for a hundred or more rushing yards is the only prop I have here that actually has minus odds at minus one fifteen. You can get them at um, hundred and fifty plus rushing yards for plus five hundred. So this is basically banking on Lamar rushing for a hundred yards and then Mahomes having like three to four big runs. Um, that's a little too extreme. I, I don't necessarily like that one, but it's something if. It's something for you if you choose. Uh, Pacheco and Lamar to combine for 150-plus rushing yards. That, I think, is a little more interesting. You can get it for plus 110 odds. Um, that, I, I think, might be one of the better better props in this. It's reflected in the odds uh, at plus 110, but I don't hate it. Yeah, I I would take, of the ones that you just mentioned, the Lamar-Mahomes combo for 100 is intriguing, although I don't really like taking something like that at, at 
minus money at minus 115, but it's not terrible. And then, yeah, Pacheco, Lamar for 150 plus at 110. Uh, I like that because I think that Lamar can at least threaten for 100 yards in this game. I think is over under somewhere in the mid 60s. So I think he's going to at least be pretty close to that. And then you would have to imagine that Pacheco is probably going to be churning out 60, 70 yards himself. So if you could just get them to, you know, go a little bit over their totals, I think you're in a good, uh, good shape to hit that 150 plus yards. I think if you just look at their Vegas odds right now, they're going to be right hovering right around that mark. I think that's reflected. It's not a huge payout in the plus 110, but yeah, either one of those, I would stay away from the 150 plus on Lamar Mahomes combined and the 200 plus on Pacheco Lamar combined. I'm not sure if you mentioned that, but that's at plus 600. Just not quite enough of a payout on either one of those for me to to lay some money down. The other little little sprinkles I have here, Rasheed Rice, 25 plus receiving yards each half. I already know how you feel about those half and half bets, but. That mm-hmm. I think is slightly more favorable than the Pacheco line, just because the, the yardage total is lighter. But you'd also think kind of like we were talking about we're we're both a little hesitant to say that Kansas City's run game is going to work. If it doesn't, Rice is most likely going to be the benefactor of a lot of those quick screens to the outside. 25 receiving yards, that's not really a lot. Like if he has, what, six, seven catches? It could just be one catch each time, you know, I agree on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, That one tickled my fancy a little bit. Something that I could not find odds for, but I am thinking a lot about leading up to this game. Do you think this has the potential to just be a Justin Tucker show where he hits like five or six field goals? Potentially, man. I, I, I think Lamar or, uh, Lamar and the Ravens offense is a little bit too efficient for them to stall out five or six times, to, to be honest with you, uh, just the way that their offense is clicking. I think it's more likely, honestly, that Harrison Bucker would have the higher number of field goals made because I think that and one of the things I wanted to touch on, and this is kind of a perfect segue into it, is that the the Chiefs have struggled in the red zone uh, as of late. They, they've had to settle for some field goals in, in this postseason, a lot of them in Miami two in Buffalo to open up. And they're not one of the more efficient teams in scoring in the red zone. They're 19th in touchdown percentage once they get in the red zone. Meanwhile, Baltimore, I believe, is the best red zone defense as they pretty much are in in most defensive categories. So I would look for that. I honestly think Butker's probably going to have the higher number of points scored. But we'll see. I just think that that's more testament to how good Lamar's um, and the Ravens offense is going with me saying that I don't think it'll necessarily be a huge Tucker game. Well, to counterpoint, Kansas City has allowed the fewest yards to receivers in football in the regular season. And Baltimore already doesn't necessarily have like superstars on the outside. These two teams are actually kind of similar in terms of how they're built, in terms of like skill position guys and everything. Um, Certainly, Kansas City has a little bit more top end explosiveness at uh, running back. But I look at it and, like, if they can't find anything over the top and the ground game isn't going great, you know, they can get a few first downs here and there. All they got to do is get to, what, like the 35, the 40, somewhere around there to give Tucker a chance, depending on the wind. Um, I can see this being I – I don't love the under in this game but I think there's some potential for this to just turn into a defensive slugfest where 
the, the game is played a lot in the middle of the field for a large portion of the game. And then somebody breaks through and there's a whole lot of scoring in, in the back half of the game or, or the last, let's say, quarter and change. Um, something that really interested me when I was looking at this was the Ravens to win the first half and Kansas City to win the game at plus 900. And then the flip side of that was kind of juicy as well. But this, I think, was the, the outcome of those two I felt a little bit better about Mahomes coming back, winning the game on the road. Plus 900 is a little far-fetched. So I, I I wouldn't like put the house on it or anything, obviously, but I feel like that's the same old story with Mahomes, right? And that's it's almost been perfectly set up for it to finish that way for him in the AFC this year. Yeah. So despite my dislike for having a certain player to have an X amount of yardage in each half, this is actually a bet that I really do like um, where you have a a result in the first half and then you have a different one in the second half. Uh, The classic double result game. I'm a big fan of this bet. Yeah, because you're basically just think of it. You can think of it two ways. You can think of it like you're parlaying each half, basically the winner of each half or the way I really like to think about it is you're just dictating. you're, You're just putting money down on how you think the game's going to play out. Right. Like, so it's like, do you just think Mahomes is going to come back, have to come back in this game? And uh, I think that there's a reasonable chance that he will. I do like this at plus 900, nine to one. Um, you know, I think that if you give the ball with uh, to Mahomes and he's down in the final couple of minutes, he's going to come out and win that game. He's going to dig through and um, have the two minute drive. And we'll see Baltimore's offense got, really efficient on the back half of that game against Houston. They were much better in the second half. And I think that that was just because they were a little bit rusty in the first half. So I think that you could easily see their success in the second half on offense roll right into the first half of this game in Kansas city, Kansas city and Mahomes a little bit more of the the veteran team when it comes to playoff experience kind of feels them out and waits for their moment to pounce in the second half. So that's a good call there. I also have listed here, both teams to beat the other in overtime Ravens to beat Kansas city in overtime is plus 1800 Kansas city to beat Baltimore in overtime is plus 2200. I could totally see this being an overtime game. 100%. I know it hardly ever happens in conference championship games. We've seen it happen a few times over the last couple of years, but I could totally see this going to overtime at the end. I, I would love it too. If it did. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting, man. I, I think that honestly, to to play it safe, maybe you could just bet the game to go to overtime rather than like picking a side in overtime, because then that gets all into the coin flip and and everything like that. Yeah. So and and now they've got these different overtime rules as well, where uh, I think each team gets a chance to possess the ball regardless of whether there's a a touchdown scored on the opening possession of overtime or not, just because Bills fans whined after the 13 second game, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's uh, obviously it's going to be long odds whenever you're you're looking at a game to go to overtime. But when you got two teams as good as these are and potentially as evenly matched as these are, I don't think it's crazy. So it brings us down to this now. Um, you and I both have to make picks for this game, and I, I want us to just go off of our predicted scores. And that will obviously tell whether or not um, we're picking Chiefs to cover or or Ravens to to cover or whatever. Um, so 
Do you want to go first, or should I bat lead off on this? You can take the rings. Okay. Um, so, hear me out. It's plus four. Okay? When it was plus three, or it, it's uh, when it, it's minus four, excuse me. When this line was at minus three earlier in the week, I hated it. And I was like, ah, that's too close. I, I don't know. I, this game could go either way. And then the betters started going the other way towards the Ravens. Now it's four points. Patrick Mahomes as an underdog is only the best quarterback of all time in the Super Bowl era with a minimum of 10 starts with an eight and three record straight up as an underdog. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. He, he started his career as an underdog the first three weeks of his, his, uh, his tenure in Kansas city. And then otherwise he was an underdog in back-to-back road starts in the playoffs in 2018. They won both games. He was an underdog against Buffalo. Wait a second. Wait a second. Sorry, 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 sorry. Let me fact check you. His, his first road game playoff game was last week. What are you talking about? Back-to-back road starts in the playoffs in 2018. First uh, underdog, underdog starts, underdog starts. Yeah, but he was still at home, right? You, you said you said it, it was, those were road starts, just clarifying. Yeah, they're just underdog road starts, not playoffs. My apologies. So, oh, 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 okay. I thought you said playoffs. Gotcha. Sorry about that. I may have. So in, in his rookie season in 2018, he was an underdog in back-to-back road starts. Only time in his career, besides last week and this week. He won both games the first time around. He just won in Buffalo last week. Um, it's kind of like I said last week. I can't bet against Mahomes, and I don't want to. And I, I, I want to go with the Ravens. I've been saying all week that I believe they'll win. And I still feel like they probably will. Mahomes has a lot to overcome in this game. It's probably the best defense he's faced all year. Pretty good quarterback as well. Great road atmosphere. Didn't phase him last week. The Chiefs kind of... Loved that opportunity. I love their team chemistry right now, how they reacted to the ice bowl against Miami, just embracing it, embracing Buffalo as well. I still can't unsee Mahomes dancing through the, the snowballs being thrown at him after that game. Yet. I've got the Ravens beating the chiefs 31, 28 in overtime. So Ravens win, but a chiefs cover. Yeah, I think I think it goes into OT, and I think it comes down to Justin Tucker's leg at the end. Not a bad prediction. Certainly can't blame you with how good Baltimore has been this year. They are the best team in football, uh, but they don't have the best quarterback in football, and that's that's how I look at it. I'm sure that our Ravens listeners, uh, I think that they're going to be happy because I've doubted Baltimore all year long. So this is potentially just uh, another chip off the old ice block with that, but. I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes to win this one. I'm going to take Kansas City to come back from a double-digit deficit in the second half and win it as well. I'm going to pick a weird score just for the sake of picking a weird score. I got the Chiefs 25, Baltimore 21. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be a situation where Baltimore will be up 21 to 10. The Chiefs will score and go for two to make it 21 18 and then they'll and then they'll score a touchdown to then make it 25 21 win the game by four so i got chiefs outright wow you're just you're trying to make it ugly at the end too you want to you want it to be brutal 
for the Baltimore guys. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I don't want my buddies in Baltimore to suffer uh, any more than they have to. But uh, I mean, hey, look, at the end of the day, I'm still a Steeler fan first, right? And I do not want to see the Ravens win. So that's an admitted admittance that uh, I am biased with my selection. But look, I, I've I've got 15 in my corner. So whether I'm a anti-Ravens guy or not, I, I got confidence in this pick big time. Go Chiefs. Well, like I said, Mahomes is historically the best quarterback against the spread in the Super Bowl era. Uh, minimum 10 starts at eight and three. Um, all this as historical, an underdog. As an underdog, yes. Yeah. All this historical dominance. Burrow, Brady, the only two guys to beat him in the playoffs at this point. However, Baltimore is undefeated this year when Mahomes, uh, when uh, Lamar has a passer rating above 90. They're 10 and 0 in those games. So it's happened quite a bit as well. And that to me is, is the biggest key to this game for me, for Baltimore. I don't think their, their run game is going to have an awesome day across the board, unless Lamar is just making plays. And I, I just think they're going to rely on him. I, I, I think they're going to put the ball in his hands early. I think it's going to be a tough game throughout. They'll trade punches a few times. Mahomes will keep him in it. Um, I really think there is some merit to, um, Ravens winning the first half, Chiefs winning the game. If you feel this way, I was really split on this decision, as you could tell when I was making my official decision. I've had my predicted score typed on here since uh, this afternoon. I did not change it, and I'm proud of it. 31 Ravens, Chiefs 28 in overtime. That's my pick. What did you say yours was? 25-21? 25-21 Chiefs. Wow. 25-21. That is a weird line. That is a weird line. Okay. So I that's kind of how I thought you and I would both lean for this game. And I was really close to joining you and going on the Chiefs side. Um, but I'm sticking with the Ravens. I'm sticking with the Ravens. It's time for new blood. It's time for new blood. Let's move to the NFC Conference Championship game. This one's also a doozy. Lions. Detroit. Um, with an opportunity to make history here. They're playing the Niners on the road in San Francisco, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. The spread right now is Niners minus seven. The last road playoff win for the nine, for the Lions was in the 1957 Western Conference Championship at San Francisco. The Lions later won the title that year. Could history repeat itself? Who knows? Maybe. Paul, what do you think is going to be the biggest matchup of this game? So uh, two, two matchups, if, if you'll allow me to say two things. Um, first, I want to see how the Lions defensive front does against Christian McCaffrey. The Lions are the second best uh, team in opponent rush yards per game. We've got an extremely stout rush defense and defensive front. And I want to see how they do against Christian McCaffrey, who we all know best running back in football right now. And McCaffrey, I didn't think, believe it or not, despite his stat line being 17 for 98 and two touchdowns last week, I didn't think it was a, a dominant McCaffrey game. I, I said a, a lot of that came on that one chunk run, that 40-yard run that he broke in the second half of that one. So I don't want to just see McCaffrey like have like some yards and touchdowns at the end of things. I want him to, to see it sustain success throughout, see if he can do that, pile up five, six-yard runs throughout the game not just hit one or two big hitters, um, allow San Francisco to possess the ball and keep it out of Detroit's hands. 
So that's one thing there. And then I also want to see, um, I really actually have three big matchups, but I want to see how Brock Purdy can do against the Detroit secondary. I'll talk about this a little bit more. I'll save my big take on this for when we dive into this matchup in just a second here. But I think Detroit's secondary can be exploited because their pass defense is not very good. And then I want to see how well Detroit can protect Jared Goff. Um, I think you had a really interesting stat here about Goff. Let me pull it up. Um, I'm blanking on it right now about his success or lack thereof when he faces pressure. So um, with a clean pocket, and now I don't know exactly what defines a, a clean pocket. I mean, I know what a clean pocket is when I look at it, but I don't know what the NFL definition of it is. But 75.9% completion percentage, um, that is fourth. He's 8.3 in yards per attempt. That's ninth among quarterbacks and second in EPA per play. Um, 25 touchdowns as well. That is fourth overall. When he's under pressure, those numbers fall to 50.7% completion percentage, 6.3 yards per attempt, 18th in EPA per play, and only six touchdowns, which is 14th. Sorry if I stole that stat from you. But um, how well the Lions offense can protect him, or Lions offensive line can protect him from uh, guys like Nick Bosa and Chase Young will be huge. Um, there's there's so many other things to the game. I hope I didn't steal your point there, but that was a that was a great one. No, you're you had written down. You're to, you're totally good. Devil's advocate, I will say, is that the Packers offensive line is not as good as the Lions offensive line, and they just held the Niners defensive line to to zero sacks against right. the last last week. So I, then, I I think there's some potential maybe for the Lions to keep that going. And Nick Bosa hasn't had like the greatest year either. He's got 10 and a half sacks, which is nothing to sneeze at per se, but this is a guy who was the defensive player of the year last year. Like it just hasn't quite been able to replicate the same season. So it, it hasn't been true dominance from him as a pass rusher this year, which I think should give Detroit some, some confidence in that regard. You did mention the running game last week was, Shanahan's first playoff win with the Niners in which they got outgained on the ground. So that is a huge stat going up against a Detroit team that loves to run the football. Um, Detroit ranks uh, very well in terms of run defense, whereas San Fran's run defense is their one kind of subtle weakness. They're 15th defensively in, in DVOA against the run. And they gave up over 100 yards to Aaron Jones last week on just 18 carries, including a, that really big chunk play for, what, 50-something yards that they had? Um, yeah, at least 50. The Lions might be able to get a few of those, not just with with Gibbs, but with Montgomery, maybe even with St. Brown or or somebody else on a jet sweep, you know? Um, Lions also have PFF's second-best cumulative run-blocking grade for their O-line this year. I, like, I think their run game is a little bit more explosive than the Packers. And we just saw them gash San Fran in, in the front seven and, and not even really try to like, that wasn't their game plan. They were letting Jordan love sling it. And it's what came back to bite them. And Dan Campbell is smarter than that. Like if their running game is gashing San Fran early, he's going to keep going to it. And the, until they can stop it. Yeah, I, I like the uh, nothing against Aaron Jones, and he's been phenomenal in, in the past four or five weeks of, of this season, including that game in the playoffs last week. But I like the combination 
of Montgomery and Gibbs more than Aaron Jones. Like I like the Detroit, as you said, the Detroit running game, I think is far more prolific than green Bay's running game. So San Francisco will have their hands full. I think Javon Hargrave is going to have to be a force in the middle of that D line for San Fran, former Steeler who has been uh, very solid for them was on the Eagles team uh, last year as well. That was in the Super Bowl. So he's been um, an integral part of, of defensive success for, for a couple of NFL teams. So I think he'll need to step up in a big way, eat up those blocks in the middle. So I really think, offensively for the for the Niners it's going to be as simple as this is Debo playing or not okay when he hasn't played or, or when he's been limited in games their offense has been totally different in terms of output production even just the eye test like looking at it things move a little bit slower for Purdy getting the ball out of his hands he doesn't have quite as many options we saw them fight through it in the game last week and then eventually Purdy turned it on in that in that last drive where they really really needed it the most um I will say, though, Detroit ranks 16th in DVOA against the pass, and Purdy has been the most efficient quarterback in football. He had a season-high 41 pass attempts last week. So that was actually the most that they have leaned on him in a game this year, only at the crux of their season when they're down to the Packers by a touchdown at home, trying not to get upset, right? Instead of turning to McCaffrey, they put the ball – in Purdy's hands and said, here you go, young fella, go win us the football game. And he did just that. Um, we've seen Detroit in the last couple of games, give up monster games, monster performances, I should say to Puka and Mike Evans. And yet somehow they still managed to win those games. So even if Debo is out, like Purdy has weapons, Kittle, Ayuk, they're going to be able to find ways to exploit the Detroit secondary. But if Debo is in there as well, Sign him up for two to three catches, even if he's not 100%. You know, it, it helps him just being out there just to get the defense's eyes in his area, just to make sure they know where he's at every single play, uh, especially in the run game. He could be a huge decoy for them. However, I, I don't know if he will play or how much uh, he will play if, if he is suited up. You know, it, it even could be a thing where we see him out there for – chunk of the game and then he gets hurt again this has been this as much as you and i love the guy this has been the story with him his whole career even back in college yeah but i think things are trending towards the right direction i read today that he he was a limited participant yeah. in practice he, he practiced uh, he, caught, he caught some passes during the media session of the game and, and i read that there wasn't any there wasn't any hindrance um when when he was catching a couple of those passes so i would say he's gonna at least suit up for this game Again, you make a fair point. Is he just suiting up as a decoy to try to deflect some of the attention from the defense over to his side and free up some of the other guys? Maybe that's a different story. But I saved my analysis when you asked for some of my key matchups. This was one Brock Purdy versus the Detroit secondary here. You mentioned how well Puka Nakua and Mike Evans have played. I mean, look at the quarterbacks for the uh, Matthew Stafford and Baker Mayfield. They've both gone over 360 yards passing in their games against the Detroit defense in the, in the playoffs here. Now, part of that is because Detroit has by and large played from ahead, which maybe it will be the case. Maybe it won't be the case in, in this game against San Francisco, but look, there's been a lot of talk about Brock Purdy. How good is he? Is he just a benefactor of all of the guys that he has around him and the coaching scheme? 
if San Francisco is proclaiming Brock Purdy as their guy and he was an MVP finalist this year, I think a lot of people would argue whether he should or shouldn't be, but we just talked about it. He's an MVP finalist. He was the front runner for the MVP award up until maybe two or three weeks before the end of the regular season when, when Baltimore came in there and stopped him. He has proven that he can, he can win games. He's proven that he can have success. If San Francisco believes in him as their guy, I fully believe they should go and let him take the reins and let him be the focal point of this offense. Make it a pass-first offense for this game against Detroit because I think that that's a key area in which you can exploit the Detroit defense. There's tons of weapons that he can go to. Juwan Jennings even came up with four or five big catches in that game against Green Bay, even if Debo is not 100%. George Kittle has been a beast. He was he was f- fantastic in that game against Green Bay. There are so many weapons in the passing game, and Detroit has so much struggled to defend the passing game, especially in this playoffs. I say let let Brock Purdy cook. And if if San Francisco kind of unleashes him, I think they're going to win the game. I think that Brock Purdy, the target yards, I think he's going over 300 yards, and I think San Francisco is going to win as a result. I think Kyle Shanahan should and will put his trust in his quarterback. All right. Well, I guess I know how you feel about this game. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I have a bad habit of like once I start getting in my analysis and takes, just like I no, unconsci- I, I unconsciously just kind of like spew out what I think is going to happen in the game. So my apologies for spoiling that to the listeners. But yeah, I think San Francisco is going to win. No, I, no need to apologize whatsoever. You made some great points in there. Um, and it wasn't just, I, I will say going back to those games, Puka and Evans had awesome performances, but their teams lost the game. And nobody else really, at least receiving-wise, had awesome days. And it's not like, I mean, the Rams have Cooper Cup. Is it 100% Cooper Cup? Probably not, but they have him. And then, you know, Rashad White has been pretty good contributor in, in the passing game all year. He actually had an awesome day on the ground, which caught my eye as well. Uh, Detroit is first in DVOA against the run this year. And CMC, obviously, we know, we know who Christian McCaffrey is, but... Um, the Tampa Bay running game was the worst in football this year. And Detroit gave up 89 yards on 15 carries to white last week. Like they had some looks too. And a lot of that came again when they were trailing. And, and I think Detroit was just sort of giving them those Played runs. A bit almost. Softer. Yeah, yeah. Like daring Baker to throw it basically. And, and saying like, you can run the ball all day against us, but you're not right. going to do that once you get inside a certain yardage mark. Um, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of chess pieces involved in this game. I love the coaching matchup, even though Harbaugh and Reed are are facing off in the other one in the other game that we previewed uh, Shanahan and Campbell to me, like depending on how the NFC shakes out the next few years, this might not be the first time we, we see these two teams play in this game. Like I can see this happening again for, another couple years with how young and talented the lions core is. And then how talented the, the Niners core is as well. There's shades of some early, like, I don't know, there's something here. And, and I would love to see this be a rivalry that um, brews in the NFC side of the league. Looking at some, some Vegas lines in this one over under 50 and a half. Uh, the weather in San Fran is going to be pretty nice. Uh, not quite that, that rain slog that we saw last week. Um, 
50 and a half. I, I kind of like the over in that. I feel like both offensive minds are good enough to, to find the openings in this game to, to make points happen. Yeah, it's I, I I trust both the offenses, no doubt. I mean, just in a vacuum, these are two phenomenal offenses, um, both with tons of weapons. You know, it's interesting the the it's really kind of a, a juxtaposition where you look at all four of these teams that are in it have great offenses. But the two teams on the AFC side, it's because their quarterbacks are just so damn good and there's not as much around them. Here, and I don't want to take away anything from Goff or Purdy because I think the way I came off on our previous episode of the podcast was a little bit detrimental towards Goff. But um, these guys are just good quarterbacks with a ton around them that makes them great, you know. And it's interesting that that the two similar styles are facing off um, against each other in the NFC, and then the other styles are facing off against each other in the AFC. But whenever you get to uh, over under in an NFL game that touches 50. I mean, that that's a lot of points right there. So, I mean, it looks to be clear weather day and, and it could be a uh, full go ahead for each offense, but 50 is a lot in, in an NFL game. I mean, they're, they're saying that this thing is going to be like, they're projecting it for around a 27, 24 type game. It's uh that's dicey. If you take the over. Well, I don't know. I, we talked a lot about Purdy in this game, but, and you just kind of hinted at golf a little bit and, and how we talked about him last week. Did you know that in terms of how they rank efficiency, you know, how you see those graphs where you have like the quadrants, right. And Purdy right. is, is the I, dot I, I, I all the way in the, talking about. In the yeah. In, yeah. Purdy's the dot all the way in the top. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think I can find this graphic right away, but I saw it earlier in the week. Um, I, I know the one you're talking about. I mean, there, there's a couple of axes on there and, and yeah, it's, it, it's probably dictated based on what, like his, his total yardage over his attempts, because he's got they're they're like one of the, he's got over 4,000 yards this year. And I think that San Francisco has thrown the ball fewer than any other team in the right. NFL. Yeah. Um, but if you look at that, if you look at that graph, do you know who the closest dot to Jared Goff is? And they're like kind of overlapping a little bit, almost Venn diagram style. The closest one to Goff? Yeah, it's Jordan Love. Well, I'm not too surprised with hearing that. I mean, everybody knows how much I love Jordan Love. Top right, top right quadrant. Again, Goff is up there. He's had an awesome season, and I think he's coming off his two best playoff games of his career, honestly, the, the last two weeks. If, if you look into it, um, Last week against Tampa, that was the first playoff start he's had where he's thrown multiple touchdowns. Um, he now has four consecutive playoff starts without interception, even going back to a divisional round loss against Green Bay in 2021 with the Rams. They're building something there, and I think he has more confidence than he's had. So I'm not too worried about either offense really performing well. Um, and, and I think to a certain extent, San Fran has some holes in their secondary as well. And, and Detroit certainly has the pieces to exploit those. Um, each team to score one passing touchdown and one rushing touchdown. This is a bet you liked in the other game that we had the line for chiefs Ravens with this bet was plus 300. The line in this one is plus one ninety. So there's definitely a little bit of a, of a difference between those. Are you still liking this call here? 
Yeah, it sucks that the payout's a little bit less. Um, you know, I would hope for something like a two to one payout or, or more. We're pretty damn close to that. But I mean, one passing and one rushing touchdown for each of these teams that have shown the ability to, I guess, Purdy didn't play his best ball last week, but Jerry Goff, like you said, has played so well. And then we know how much these teams are going to want to run the football and how proficient they are once they do get down in the red zone. I mean, you have the Gibbs Montgomery combo along with McCaffrey on the other side for uh, San Francisco. So, you know, that each one's going to get a rushing touchdown and then the way Goff has played in this playoffs and the way Purdy's played throughout the regular season, I think, it's pretty safe to say as well with uh, the weapons that are there that they're gonna they're gonna pass for one as well. So I, I do really like this bet at, at plus one ninety. I think that they could each each have a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown for sure. How about Christian McCaffrey and Jameer Gibbs to combine for hundred and fifty or more rushing yards? This is at plus one hundred five, which uh, I'm surprised that the odds were this low. I, I thought that one fifty is actually a bigger number than you think for these two McCaffrey. I mean, we said it last week. He, he didn't really rush for a ton of yards last week. And, and Gibbs sometimes just has like 40 or well, 50 yard run games and, and contributes more in the passing game. I mean, McCaffrey still did break off 98 yards. I mean, it, you yeah. know, we, we, we hold him to a high standard just because he is Christian McCaffrey. Um, you said this is at 150. Look, I think that that will probably come down to how much does Dan Campbell give Jameer Gibbs the ball. And I hope that after what he saw in that game against Tampa Bay last week, that he has the confidence to go to him as much or more than David Montgomery, just because I think Jameer Gibbs is the more talented running back. I've said it throughout the course of the season. I stand by it. All you had to do is look at their yards per carry last week. I think Montgomery was sitting around three and Gibbs had nine for 74 and and that big touchdown where he just made Antoine Winfield look stupid out there. So uh, look, I, I do kind of like that, that number at 150 for the combination of Gibbs and McCaffrey. I think that ultimately, you know, McCaffrey is going to get his like at least 70 to 80 ish, even if it's a down day. So I think it comes down to how much is Gibbs involved for that one. If you trust Campbell to go to Gibbs. And also if you think the game is going to be close, I think throughout the duration of it, because you don't want the game to get too far out of hand on one side. You know, you got to factor that in, right? right. Yeah. Because if, if it gets too far out of hand, then one of the teams is going to probably start abandoning the run and then obviously give less rushing attempts and less rushing yardage to one of those guys. So if you think this game will be close throughout and you think that Gibbs is going to uh, build upon his performance from last week and be heavily involved, then yeah, rip this bet. Anytime touchdown scores, I did not include Christian McCaffrey in this particular uh, bet here only because his odds for it are like minus three something, I think like 350 or 360. Um, Ayuk at minus 110, Kittle at plus 110. I also have St. Brown at plus 140, Gibbs at plus 145, Montgomery at plus 170, and Laporta at plus 180. Which of these? stands out to you the most um well i think kittle at plus 110 is the is the first one there it's not the craziest payout but the way he played last week you're talking about debo that might not be a complete 100 healthy in this one so it could be used more as a decoy i think purdy will trust his safety blanket tight end who i have proclaimed many a times to be the best tight end in football right now i stand by that i think he'll be a focal point of, of the offense as he was last week so i like him at plus 110 
And then honestly, David Montgomery at plus 170 is pretty yeah. good there. Yeah. Because I J- Jameer Gibbs is I like Jameer Gibbs more, uh, definitely in terms of like between the 20s, you know, and in the open field. But I think Montgomery's a little bit of a bigger back. And when they can get down inside the five, I think that Dan Campbell will probably opt to go to him in like a a, a goal line situation where you just got to pick up one or two yards. So plus 170, just given that those odds are um, a better payout than Gibbs. That was kind of interesting to me right off the bat. So Kittle for the Niners, Montgomery for the Lions. Totally agree with you. Montgomery was, I only really, I tried, when I narrowed it down, I tried to just look at one. And that was, that was the biggest one for me. Um, even Ayuk, I, I, I like, especially if Debo is out, I think he could have a pretty big day. Um, yeah, for sure. Ayuk's I, I, I a really good pass catcher there. Um, and like I said, a lot of problems for Detroit in terms of their secondary. So he could uh, he could certainly find the end zone, too. How about Christmas Caffrey to score two or more touchdowns at plus 155? And then if you want to double down on it, if you have him to score the first touchdown and the second touchdown of the game, <laughs> that's plus 1800. The, the first and second touchdown one's kind of intriguing just because you get an 18 to one odds on your on your wager. Yeah. Like why not? Why not? I don't know if I'd pull the trigger on it because I think that there are other things out there with equal odds that are maybe more realistic of happening, but I don't, I don't like the two touchdowns for plus plus one fifty five. I'm not saying he can't do it. I just don't think that's enough of a payoff for me for someone to score, score twice. I I, I need a little bit bigger payoff than plus plus one fifty five. but how how often have we seen him score twice this year though? It's practically like question. Let me, let me look it up for you right now. Let me see if Vegas has given us the uh, real odds. I feel like he does it every single not every single week, but it's almost like every other week, you know, that's part of the reason why he is who he is, at least in terms of like fantasy football stature and and all that, you know? Yeah. It's part of the reason he gets a ton of yards and catches too. All right. Let me see if I've got right now looking at it. One, two, three, four, five. He's done it in five games this year, six games. If you include the, the playoff win last week. So it's like, a third of their games this season, he's gotten two touchdowns or more. Okay. So then we just, if it's, if it's a third of the games, then it's, then we prove that plus plus one fifty five is not worth the bet. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. Cause you, cause you should be getting, you should be getting like a roughly something around plus 300 payout. Um, well, what if, I mean, if Debo can't play though, McCaffrey is getting a lot more touches. You would think, I said last week I could see him getting 30 touches in this game. If that happens, especially in the red zone area, like who's to say he, he couldn't go for like three for San Francisco to win this game? I, I could see him getting 30 touchdowns, but again, 30 touches, I, 30, you're right, 30 touchdowns, I 30 think we'll, touchdowns. I think we'd have a clear winner. <laughs> <laughs> I, the Niners I have, win 210 to 23. <laughs> Yeah, that would be uh that would really put a damper on everything Detroit's done this season, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Back to seriousness though. I, I think that McCaffrey definitely could get 30 touches in this game. But as I have said, I don't think that that is the method in which San Francisco should go about things in this game. Now I look, Kyle Shanahan's a more brilliant football mind than than I am, but I think that the method should be to to throw the ball more and more. And I I don't know if this is a game where San Francisco will try to you you know run the wheels off of McCaffrey. So 
you make a fair point about Debo maybe not being as much of a factor as he typically is, but I still just I can't get behind plus one fifty five for for two touchdowns for him, even as talented as a guy as McCaffrey is. Okay, okay. Uh, last sprinkle for you: Kittle and Laporta, two hundred plus combined receiving yards at plus eight fifty. Does this do anything for you? Or is it too high? Nah, I think it's a little bit too high. Um, I mean, if you look at their yardage, like Laporte has been great this year, but he still didn't even have a thousand yards and, you know, in a full 17 game season. So, you know, you factor that in and his, his average yards per game. And I think Kittle has, I don't know what his yardage is for the season off the top of my head, but if it's over a thousand, it's not far over it. So, I mean, these guys are just like, not, if you just, you have to look at their averages as well. I know you're getting a, a payout here of eight and a half to one uh, plus eight fifty, but um, I can't, I can't quite get behind 200 yards for, for two tight ends. Yeah. Understood. I, that doesn't happen every so often in the NFL, although these are two of the best tight ends in, in the game. We could see a little mini battle here. Sure. I actually, I actually love that we have Kittle and Andrews on one side or not Kittle, uh, Kelsey and Andrews on one side and then Kittle and Laporte on the other. These are four of probably the five best tight ends in the league, not including TJ Hawkinson, right? Right, yeah. Uh, Hawkinson's the only other one you throw into the mix. And, and you know, to be honest with you, uh, the way Laporta has come on this year, I mean, Hawk, Hawk has been great, but, um, I mean, you can make the argument these are the four best tight ends. Andrew being bang, Andrew's being banged up this year. It's tough to say that these are, like, the four best tight ends this season because of the injury, but... Right. Uh, when you when you project out looking at their their careers up to this point and then for Laporta, if you project out what he may do with the next five, six years. Yeah, maybe these are the best four tight ends in football right now. Going back to the legacy conversation, kind of like how we did for. Uh, for Lamar and, and Mahomes, is this Goff's biggest game of his career, including the Super Bowl, because the way I look at that first Super Bowl. It was. Like the mic'd up of that Super Bowl after the fact, there was a clip of McVeigh going and like meeting Belichick before the game. And you could see him trying to be like serious at first. And then he went total fanboy mode, like two seconds into it. And I think that whole game, the lights were a little too bright. Like, even though that Rams team is really good, it's almost like, they didn't know they were in in that game facing the Patriots in the Super Bowl until it was almost over. Whereas now Goff is a little more seasoned. He's got more experience. He is now rejuvenated and he's building the new Detroit Lions. He's he's a part of this new history that now we're going to we're going to associate this Lions franchise with down the stretch especially if they keep having success going forward and and you would assume if they do that, they'll keep him around for it, um, given their history. Do you think there's any merit to that conversation at all, especially going against a guy like Shanahan, a favorite on the road? Um, how long it's been since Detroit played for a title? I can't quite get there. At the end of the day, the the Super Bowl, the the game against the the Patriots was indeed a Super Bowl. And I mean, you know, it's it's different. I think that you can the reason that I, I say that as well is that, you know, I think that it's a little bit of a similar thought process and the fact that that was a pretty good team that he had around him that year with uh, the likes of Cooper cup, um, Robert Woods, if I remember correct. And then uh, Todd Gurley in the backfield. And obviously uh, I think a lot of people have attributed a lot of that success to the McVay offense and some of the talent he had around him. And 
didn't give Goff as much credit for making it to the Super Bowl. And while Goff has played very well, and I don't necessarily think Detroit would, I, I don't think Detroit would be where they are without him or with a lesser quarterback. Um, I think that there's still some of that argument being made that he's got a lot of talent around him and it's not all him and he's already been to the Super Bowl. So it's all about getting over that hump. And so, no, I can't quite say this is a bigger game than that Super Bowl was. I would say this, that it, uh, if he does win this game against San Francisco and they do play in the Super Bowl, that will obviously be a, a, a bigger game for him than the game was against New England, just because it's a second chance to prove himself and he's doing it with a different team. But I just, I can't get behind, you know, um, this game being more magnitude than, than a championship Super Bowl championship game. What about for the other quarterback? What about Brock Purdy? Because he missed most of the championship game last year with, with the injury and everything. Um, there was that whole saga and, and the conversation about whether or not they were going to bring him back this year or, or go and look for somebody. There's been some reports this week about um, how close the Niners were to having Tom Brady as their quarterback this year. They almost brought him out of retirement and it was even being like told to Purdy, Hey, Tom's going to come in. He's going to be the number one. You're going to be the backup. And Purdy had this quote where he said like, okay, I get it. That's Tom Brady. But at the same time, like, have you not seen what I've, what I've been doing here? Have you not recognized that I've been playing my ass off and playing well? Um, This is a prove it game for him. Right. Oh, absolutely. A way different story. When I talk about Brock Purdy compared to Jared Goff, just because, yeah, you're right. Purdy's, opportunity to get his team to the Super Bowl last year was thwarted when um, he had that injury against Philadelphia. And so, you know, by and large, I mean, this is this is the the um, highest stage that he's played on or will be the highest stage that he plays on just because he did get hurt in the uh, NFC championship game last week. So, yeah, it's it's not just huge for, for Purdy to win it. I think it's big for us to see Purdy really play well in the playoffs, um, just you know, being injured in that game against uh, Philadelphia. And then that Dallas game in the, the, the week before in the divisional round of the 2022, 2023 season, it was kind of like a, a more of a defensive game. I think San Francisco won by some sort of weird, like 19 to 12 score. So, and then pretty not so great against the the Packers, not bad in my opinion, but we've seen him play better. I think it's big for him to not just win the game, but also kind of show out, and uh, silence a lot of these critics that have come out of the woodwork, you know, I mean, everybody has just been, it went from uh, seventh round pick game manager. Then when he was the front runner for the MVP, uh, you know, walk that back. And now that he had a, a couple bad games, maybe at the end of the year, it's, it's back to game manager, just lucky to be here and a product of the system. So look, Purdy's going to be facing noise, no matter what um, you can make an argument. I think that he will, he's going to, have maybe the second most pressure on him of any quarterback this this weekend because I think Lamar still has the most given his overall talent but just because everybody's quick to judge Brock Purdy no matter what and really is so reluctant to give him credit I think that there's a there's a ton of pressure riding on him and yeah big legacy game for him because he's never reached a Super Bowl before Goff has so I already know how you feel about this game in terms of the result give me a, a final score what what's what's the final score in this uh, supposed San Francisco Niners win? So I do like Brock Purdy to have a good game here. I'm 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 big on the Brock train. I think he throws for 300 yards and and at least two touchdowns in this one. 
I think San Francisco is going to put together like 27, 28 points. Um, I'll call it, I'll call it 28, just to have an even four touchdown number. And I'll put Detroit at um, 20 even. So I'll say San Francisco narrowly covers the spread. I'll say 28, 20 San Francisco. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I'll, I'll have that one play. I think that we'll walk away from this thinking San Francisco played well, much better than their game against green Bay. But I still think we're going to be like, that wasn't their best game. I think it's going to be one of those type of things. And I think that ultimately their talent will just win out over Detroit. All right. Let me flash you back to a few weeks ago, my friends, just a few weeks ago, where at the end of a game in Dallas on a primetime matchup between the Lions and the Cowboys, Dan Campbell elects to go for it to try to win the game with a two-point conversion, not once, not twice, but thrice against the Cowboys. There were uh, There's a whole lot of controversies that have come out of um, that game. We've talked all year about how this is like Riverboat Ron Rivera on steroids, okay? Dan Campbell is playing a totally different casino game as a head coach. And we've seen it work out for him terribly. And we've seen it work out for him really well in other games. And we sort of spoke at one point of the season about what if he just has a stretch of games where he makes the calls at the right times, where the feel is there too. And he shows that maybe he's not as much of a gambler as he thinks. And he was actually taking these risks in these games because the stakes of them were lower than they are in the playoffs. He's only gone for it on fourth down once in each of the last couple of games. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say a couple of crazy things. One, I think Jared Goff is the best quarterback in this game. And two, I think Dan Campbell is the best head coach. And I think the Lions are going to win this game 29-28. 29-28 on a two-point conversion at the end of the game. And Detroit is going to play for their first Super Bowl since 1957. You said 28 energy, points. You said 28 points, man, for the Niners. And I, I had that exactly. I think they have a game-winning drive at the end in the house that Brock Purdy is supposedly building. And I think Shanahan chokes again in a big game, like we've seen him done do a few times now. You you uh so you're on record just saying you think Dan Campbell is a better, better head coach than, than Kyle Shanahan. I think this game will prove me right. And and if if the Niners win, which they should, they are the favorite to win this game. They should win this game. They're favored by a touchdown. Looking at the biggest uh, upsets in conference championships history since 2000. The the top five starts at that plus seven line with the Titans in 2000 against the Jaguars. Then you've got the Bengals plus seven on the road against the Chiefs. The Giants plus seven and a half against the Packers in 2008. The Ravens plus eight against the Patriots in 2013. And then the Patriots plus 10 against the Steelers in 2002. My friend, you spoke earlier in the year about how you think this Niners team is the best team you've seen since that Patriots team that almost went undefeated. Almost went undefeated. They lost. They didn't win the Super Bowl that year. And I don't necessarily know if this team either can win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. Who better, who better than to upset the narrative and continue the Cinderella story than this Detroit Lions team? They're a feel-good team. I feel like the energy in the building there and the confidence with their players is at an all-time high. Aiden Hutchinson, who we didn't even really talk about in this game, is playing extremely high-level football. Um, he's going to be matched up on the opposite side 
of Trent Williams in this game and could have a monster performance. I love the Lions in this game. I think plus seven is too high, and I've got them winning this game. At the end, in the dying embers, dramatic fashion, Dan Campbell style, going for two, and it comes up big. Hell, it might even be an O-lineman. <laughs> with the winning touchdown. Who knows? Who, let's who knows? just see if he reports as eligible. <laughs> or let's yeah. see let's see if the ref calls him as eligible at least. Wouldn't that be something? That's gonna be the key. That's gonna be the key. But no, nah, man, I, I've I've been decided on this now for a few days as well. I like I have far less reservations about this prediction on my end than I did the Ravens winning. I, I think it's way more likely I'll be wrong on in that Chiefs Ravens game than this one. Yeah, I did think I knew this is where you were going. You might have even mentioned it outright in our our last podcast when we recap things. And and certainly, you know what? I, like I can hear the emotion in your pick. So you might you might as well let the emotion and and the the feel good story of the Detroit Lions influence your your call here. But look, I I'm not wavering off of San Francisco. I Campbell's done a great job in Detroit, but Kyle Sh- I think Kyle Shanahan's the best coach in football. That that includes over Andy Reid right now. I know he doesn't have the Super Bowl ring to prove it yet. Uh, I think that he'll get it this year, Uh, but like, I just think what he's able to do, his his offensive mind, how he's able to use all of his weapons, keep everybody involved. And, and also, you know, you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. We hadn't talked about him. We haven't even mentioned Fred Warner on the the San Francisco side of the ball too. It could be a game. Or Dre Greenlaw who had two interceptions last year. Yeah. Great, great middle linebackers there. So I I think San Francisco is going to, they're, they're going to have an ability to to make golf look look bad here as well. I'm interested to see. I didn't even mention that golf can tend to struggle against uh, zone zone defense. San Francisco plays the seventh most uh, or seventh highest rate of, of zone D and golf is just uh, 12 passing touchdowns to 11 picks when he's facing zone D. So he comes um, comes a little bit down to earth when that's the case. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I like the Niners. I, I trust their experience a little bit more. I, I just think that by and large, they've they've got one or two more weapons than Detroit. And I I think it's like, I don't know. I, I just can't move off of them, man. I've been back in this team. Yeah, was it a little bit crazy when I said that they're the best team that the NFL has seen since the 07 Patriots? Fine. I'll walk that back. But uh, I got firm belief that this is the best team in the NFC. I think that they played their like C minus ball last week and they got their worst game out of the way. And uh that's unfortunate for the Lions, but going on the road is going to be a lot different of a story than playing at home in front of that crowd at Ford Field. That's all I'm saying. Well, I told you about those those other upsets in conference championship games. Obviously, those were all wins on the road. Um, although I don't think this is as much of a road game, quote unquote, for Jared Goff as people are saying. He's from an hour and like 15 minutes away from from where the Lions play. This is like him having an opportunity to have an upset basically in his own backyard. Some other really important numbers I saw, though. The Lions are 13-6 and six against the spread this season. They're 25-11 and 11 against the spread since the start of last season. 36-17 and 17 over the last three seasons. That's the best three-year stretch against the spread for any team since the New England Patriots from the years 2016 to 2018, where they went 40-17 and 17 against the spread. The Patriots made the Super Bowl two of those three seasons. Interesting. I can't. That's an interesting tidbit there. I can't go against the Lions, man. I can't do it. I like, I have too much. That game, especially against the Packers, the Lions are a far better team than Green Bay is, I think. And they showed it in the regular season matchups against them. Um, 
I love Detroit in this game and and I'm maybe <laughs> our all of our all of our friends in the chat are going to listen to this and and fade me so fast because of how um how uh definitive and and confident I am in this but well like as you should be and and look I Detroit is not believe me I'm not saying it's it's a it's a dumb pick believe me it's not I mean they're in the NFC championship game for a reason but when you look at the complete body of work and what San Francisco has been able to do and how San Francisco has been able to embarrass some really high quality teams. I just think that there's one, like they're just a little bit deeper than Detroit. And I personally think that, you know, Shanahan's the better coach. He's been here before he's been to a super bowl. He, you know, he's won an NFC championship game before. And uh, you know, like I think Brock Purdy's going to step up and put the uh, world on notice. That's my, that's my bold claim. I think Brock Purdy, we're going to look back and Brock Purdy's going to be the reason that San Francisco won this game. Not Did you know that since 1990 of the 164 NFL coaches with at least 20 games of experience, Dan Campbell has the second best against the spread winning percentage of all time. I did not know that. That's crazy. Brian Dayball is in first actually at 62.9%, which I think is hysterical because <laughs> so many of those 13 losses probably came this year. Maybe not actually. I don't know exactly off the top of my head what uh, the Giants against the spread numbers were this year. Um, there is definitely an indoor outdoor thing for Goff. There's a little bit of a difference there with him, which which possibly could affect him. But again, we're talking about like 60, 70 degree California weather here, not like Green Bay on the road yeah. or, or something along those lines. So I don't think that matters quite as much in this. Um no, man, I'm I'm sticking with it. Like I said before, I feel way more confident about the Lions winning this game than I do the um the, the Ravens, Ravens winning the, the other. Yeah. Like I, I think that could go either way. I think it's like 55-45. And I just went with the Ravens at the end because I was thinking the the home field I think matters more here. I think Tucker is really a factor. Whereas in this one, it's just more like gut feel instinct, like. I feel like I've seen this movie before with with Campbell and and how everything is going there and how people have bought in and I I can't go against it. I can't. We shall see. It's uh it's shaping up to be one hell of a NFC championship game and uh conference championship Sunday in general. I think it's going to be uh it's crazy, you know, at the beginning of the year like or even at the beginning of last year say you would have told me, you know, two years ago that either Brock Purdy or Jared Goff would be playing in the Super Bowl in, in 2024 or the 2023 season, 2024 Super Bowl. Uh, I wouldn't have believed you for a minute. And that's the great thing about the NFL where, you know, things do change on a dime and sports are so unpredictable that uh, you get stories like this. Uh, you know, you get the you get the very last pick in the draft versus the very first pick in the draft. And that's 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 a surprise we didn't bring that up at all. But Goff, a number one overall pick, Purdy and Mr. Irrelevant, um, and they're meeting on the same stage. It's a great thing about sports, and uh, it should be very exciting for both those guys. Wish them the best of luck, uh, but go Niners. Yeah, I didn't even think about the, the first pick and the last pick thing. That's a pretty cool nugget, too. I can't believe I totally overlooked that. Um, yeah, you're usually the resident fact guy, Patrick. You do all the research and, and get these nice numbers for us. But hey, uh, come on. I, that's, I had one some, I had off, that's one I had off the top of my head, my friend. I had some good nugs in here today. I, I had some pretty good nugs. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Not taken away from that at all. 
I always have good nugs. What are you talking about? Um, all right, man, this does it. I, hey, we have our picks here. In case you missed them, um, I have the Ravens 31, the Chiefs 28. Paul has the Chiefs 25, Ravens 21. Paul then has the Niners beating the Lions 28-20, winning and covering. And then I've got the Lions as the big upset of the weekend. 29-28, final score. You heard it here first. Dan Campbell, a better head coach than Kyle Shanahan. That's my uh, that's my take to rile everybody up this week. Hey, my take might rile everybody up too. I'm saying Kyle Shanahan's a better coach than Andy Reid, so I'm sure I'm going to get some backlash <laughs> from that. But you know yeah. what? Fat we chance. Own, Fat we, chance, brother. We own, we own it and invite it, so, so bring it on in the comments and the DMs. Wow. I can't believe this. All right, Fifth and Long fans, enjoy your football this weekend. Um, stay warm, stay dry out there, wherever you are as well. If you're in Florida right now with sunny skies, I'm jealous of you. And uh, Oh, my God, Florida, sunny skies. What are those like? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, Paul and I will be back after it next week. Um, we'll, we'll be doing a recap of these games, and then we'll have some more uh, basketball content for you before our, our own version of Super Bowl Media Week leading up to, to the big game, of course. Um, Enjoy your fifth and long Friday, football fans. And we'll catch you again next week right here on the fifth and long podcast. God bless.